But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello, folks. Hey there. Welcome to a very special episode, a bonus episode, if you will, of Bidwabask. And uh, with us on the line is uh, the legendary Kenny Kramer, the inspiration behind the wonderful character Cosmo Kramer. How are you, sir? Doing just fine, thank you. Very good, very good. How is it in New York? In New York, it's like sort of the tail end of uh, summer. We're starting to uh, see a little chill in the air. I guess you guys are probably at the spring at this time, huh? Uh, the very start of spring, yeah. It's only a couple of days away, but we're getting nice the, weather already. Are the jacarandas in bloom? Yes, probably not where we are in, in Melbourne, but uh, in other parts of Australia, yes. <laughs> I don't think okay. we have jacarandas where we are, but uh, yes. Yeah, Melbourne's a great city. I've had so much fun there. Uh, yeah, you've been here a few times, haven't you, Kenny? Yeah, I stayed in a boutique hotel in, uh, what's that neighborhood where all the restaurants are outside? Oh, Carlton. Uh, Carlton. Fitzroy? No, well, it's on the bay. It's on the water. Oh, uh, St. Kilda? St. Kilda, right. That's yeah, where it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice, nice area of Melbourne. I, was, I guess it was over, it, was, it must have been over 10 years ago because it was the first place I saw kite surfing. Oh, yeah. We hadn't got that yet in the States, but in St. Kilda, it was like, 50 people up in the air on kite surfing. That was pretty exciting. Probably the first time America hasn't led the way in terms of trends. <laughs> no, we, we, you guys were way ahead of us in cell phones also. Uh, That's true. Cell phones were, 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 were kind of a rarity. And uh, I, I remember I was doing a TV show in Melbourne and somebody's cell phone went off. And like, like nine people the green room were all searching wallets looking at their phones. <laughs> you know, it was mad. Yeah, was right. that oh, hey, 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 it's Saturday. That's a long time ago. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, that show hasn't been around for 20 years. What's his name? Yeah. Darren? Darren somebody? Daryl Summers. Summers. Daryl Summers. He actually wrote me a nice written letter. It was on freehand writing letter thanking me for coming. I was very impressed. You don't get many hosts that will actually sit down with a pen and paper and write you a letter. You know? But uh, it was fun. Yeah, Daryl Summers for a long time was a legend in Australian TV. He was almost like our Johnny Carson. Hey, hey, right. Saturday had been around yeah. for 30 years and it was a really popular variety and show. And then the next time I came back, he was gone and Rove had... Yep. Yeah. Rove was more your classic talk show host like Letterman or Jay Leno or... Dead, what's his name? Dead? Dayton, Denton, Denton. Oh, Andrew Denton. Yeah. Andrew Denton. Yeah, yeah he's he been around a, for a while. Yeah. But, but I, I, I did about a half hour chit chat with him, but it was very secretive because nobody knew that he was in Sydney. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> okay. Give it away. He's in Sydney. Oh, okay. I get it. Hmm. And I had a wonderful time in Australia. I'd love to come back. Hopefully, uh, maybe next year. Yeah, depending on uh, how the world is looking next year speaking of that in new york at the moment we we've chatted a few times before this interview to to set it up and uh you've told me that you haven't been able to do your kenny kramer uh seinfeld tour what what have you been doing with your time while that has been sort of on the shelf um doing just like what just about everybody else is doing hunkering down washing my hands a lot yeah. wearing 
ask when I go out and, uh, you know, going through the rituals of uh, trying to stay alive. So it's, it's, it's really just been an unbelievable experience. And, you know, there's so many just absolute assholes that refuse to wear masks and don't part, aren't participating in it. I think that the president had a uh, fundraising rally uh, for 1,200 people, none of which were wearing masks. In fact, when an announcer got on the loudspeaker said, people are required to be wearing masks, the whole audience booed. <laughs> and, uh, it was, you know, it was pretty despicable because on that very day, there were more deaths than there were people in the seats at this, his event. He could have put a cadaver in every seat in the place. But, well, you know, I'm one guy, what can I do? I just try and do the right thing and uh, hope for the best. We just have to do what we can. Yeah, but it's amazing, you know, of course, they, they shut down the city. They shut down the country, or they tried to. But, you know, in New York, there's so many restaurants who are unable to open, and they probably won't open. You know, we're going to lose at least 30 40% of the small restaurants in New York never coming back. And these places pay a lot of rent, you know, maybe 20 30 grand a month rent, and they cut it pretty close. So they got to be out of business for five months. You know, that's like a hundred fifty thousand dollar back rent bill they have. They'll never catch up. But we're going to lose a lot of business, and uh, you guys are doing a little better, I think, than we are. Uh, well, in terms of numbers, uh, yeah, but we're in Melbourne right now. We're actually in a similar lockdown to what you had in New York previously. Uh, a lot of our restaurants are basically closed, and uh, yeah, there might be that situation where many of them won't come back. Yeah, that's a shame. Mm. I, I keep noticing that uh, New Zealand is doing pretty good. They were like you know, down to like two new cases a week. They had a length of time where I think they had about 100 days without any new infections. And it was only recently that a few popped up. And as soon as I think it was 12 or 13 popped up, they locked down the whole city. They they don't mess around there. No, I guess not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's good. With the lockdown in New York and uh, your tours not being able to go ahead, do you see, you know, when when uh, when hopefully things go back to normal maybe next year, do you, is that something you're going to pick back up again? Are you going to continue doing your tours? I, I doubt that I could get it up and running again. I doubt that I would want to. It's, you know, I've spent so much time and effort. It ran for 20 years, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. To start setting it all up again and doing the publicity and, you know, to, I'd have to do a lot of publicity to, because it's, you know, most of my customers were like uh, tourists, a few New York tourists, but mostly international tourists and national tourists. And so if you want to reach everybody, just tell them you're in business. First, you got to buy a lot of advertising and then get journalists to write stories and you know, I'm kind of an old story at this point. And, uh, frankly, I don't know. I think it's be much easier for me to just, if I choose to go back, to just go back and do stand-up. Um, yeah. I don't have, to have a bus and schlep or anything, you know. Nice <laughs> and easy. You know, you come in for an hour, you'll laugh, and I'll see you later. But um, I don't know that that could happen anytime soon because, uh, you know, they, they try to open New York. The president is up for re-election, and he just doesn't give a crap about anything but himself. And so he had demanded the economy get started. He made a pass that restaurants have to open and everything has to open, everything has to open. And then like 10 days later, people are dropping dead all over the place. So they had to roll it back a little. And so what else is new besides this gloom and doom? <laughs> Hear any good joke lately? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the comedian, Kenny. We're, we're hoping maybe you can tell us a joke. Yeah. Are you the joke? Let's see. <laughs> um, uh, 
Do you know the one about these two twins, the Siamese twins? You know, they're connected at, at the hip, and they uh, both play French horn. And uh, there was a big concert, and they wangled their way backstage because the, the uh, stars of the concert were these uh, two sort of singers, vocalists. And so the girls wangled their way to get backstage to meet them. And, you know, and, and when these two entertainers met these two Siamese twins, they were quite intrigued. And they invited them up to the hotel room, but they proceeded to have the most outrageous sex. I mean, you know, one was doing the other one, or the other one was playing the French horn. And <laughs> then they switched turns, and, they, and it was the two the twins, the two guys, and the two French horns in the wildest, craziest sex scene that ever took place. And the girls thanked them profusely, and they, they thanked the girls, and they left, and it was fabulous. Two years later, the same two guys are coming back to play another venue, and one of the girls says, you know, we should try and go back there and see the boys. She says, her friend says, well, do you think they'll remember us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that's a good one, Kenny. Uh, nice. Lovely, lovely. Nice. Uh, nice. But anyway, Kenny, I guess, you know, away from the doom and gloom and the jokes, I guess we got to go right back to the beginning as to how, you know, you were involved in Seinfeld. I mean, I think my understanding was you were a neighbor of Larry David's. Is that right? Well, he was a neighbor of mine because I got him that apartment. Oh, right. Okay. In the 70s, I was doing stand up in the comedy clubs before you guys even had comedy clubs in Australia. I think, I think the, so, yeah. yeah. And Larry, Jerry, myself, a lot of other comedians that you know, Bill Maher, and I, we were all doing stand up. And uh, Larry and I became friends. And uh, at one point, there was, he, he wanted to move from where he was living. And as it turns out, there was an apartment right across the hall from me that was opening up. So I finagled Larry to be able to get that apartment. And he moved in and lived there for about seven years. And while he was there, he and Jerry wrote the pilot for Seinfeld. And of course, he based the character Kramer on me, which was a little upsetting because, you know, I said, hey, listen, you're basing the character on me. He's got my name. He has a lot of my personality in it because Larry knows me like a book. So why can't I be Kramer? <laughs> nice. <laughs> he said, you can't be Kramer. What do you mean I can't be Kramer? I am Kramer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just signed on as a writer for a pilot. I'm going to have no say in the casting. They're not going to hire any New York actors. They're going to shoot it all in L.A. So forget about being Kramer. So he's my friend. I forgot. I said, okay, do what you got to do. And he created this character. Well, he didn't create it, but he sort of invented Kramer based on me. And, uh, of course, he took a lot of things that happened in my real life. But, you know, he and I had a lot of adventures together. And many of them appeared as storylines on Seinfeld. So then Seinfeld became this incredible hit show. You know, and, and all of a sudden, this character, based on me, is an international icon. And I'm thinking, if I don't cash in on this, I'm an idiot. You know? <laughs> so I got the bright idea of, like, you know, because you know, so many of these things that happened on Seinfeld were things that really happened out of our lives that Larry exaggerated and worked into storylines of the show. And I said, well, you know, maybe I'm going to have a Seinfeld, I was going to make a DVD, a Seinfeld a reality check, what's factual and fantasy in the world of Seinfeld. And when I went to sell it to an electronic publisher, they, at the time, they, the, the big format was called CD-ROM. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. For your time. <laughs> but all these electronic publishers said, well, you know, 
we unless you have a game, you know, or entertainment, you know, you're not going to sell it. So I figured, what can I do? And 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 as I was thinking about what kind of a game could I have, how could I have a Seinfeld reality check? And then a sightseeing bus drove under my window as I was looking outside, and I said, "Wait a minute, I'm going to do a tour." So I organized to uh, rent a bus or a theater, and uh, I had a friend of mine, who Bobby Allen Brooks, who helped me, you know, do a lot of the publicity and stuff. And uh, I started this Seinfeld reality tour, and the thing just took off. I was like completely sold out. I was doing it twice on Saturday and twice on Sunday. And it's like a three-hour show, and it got like you know, it was a little rough uh, talking like seven hours. Uh, every week and so and then what happened was 9-11 happened mm. and tourism in this New York City just dropped dead you know nobody was coming to New York so I didn't really have enough business to be doing four tours a weekend so I cut it down to two and then business got even worse so I cut it down to one a week and you know and then business picked up and a lot of people decided to come to new york to help support new york which was really lovely and by that time i had gotten so used to doing one show a week you know and then being off for the next six days that uh, i just never went back to doing any more than that and so for the next like 15 years it was every saturday and that ran uh, until this shit started yeah yeah. And off. So that's basically how it all came to be. And uh, all available in the book that will be coming out in the next couple of years. I can <laughs> get around writing it. <laughs> but uh, it, it's been a great ride. You know, I had a lot of fun. I got to meet a lot of interesting people and mm-hmm. uh, got to do a lot of television and radio and, you know, a lot of print. And so I just survived, you know, I mean, I, the two for the last, you know, eight years, nine years was just running on fumes, you know, I didn't have to do anything but uh, let people make their reservation online, PayPal got the money, I never, you know, all I had to do was show up and uh, be funny for three hours. And it worked. Sounds, it was great. It was a dream. And so many of my wishes came true. I always wanted to visit Australia. And I just, I don't know why, but in the back of my head, I said, Australia, man, it such a, sounds like such a cool thing. And Seinfeld was huge in Australia. It still is. Yeah. And I was getting like, you know, there were 60 people on the tour, 15 or 20 of them would be Aussies, you know? Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and then I guess it was like in 79 or 80, I did it. My first trip to Australia, I just did shows in Sydney and Melbourne. In, in Melbourne, I played the Athenaeum Theatre. Yeah, that's still around. Yeah, that, that was a, a week. In Sydney, I did Paddington Town Hall, and it was uh, very successful. And then a couple of years later, I got a, was a, approached by a promoter who wanted to put on a bigger tour for me, and I was happy to do it. And so I came back to Australia, and I played uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, Hobart. Hobart was a weird sort of trip. <laughs> if I ever Small wanted things. to make money, I could open a dental practice in Hobart. I would be rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hobart. Hobart is the butt end of a lot of jokes in Australia. It's similar to, uh, you know, a, a lot of, I guess, people make fun of Mississippi and Alabama in America. It's kind right. of similar. A lot of, a lot of, you know, inbreeding and missing teeth and that right. sort of thing. It has gotten a lot nicer, actually. Yeah, it's actually a nice place now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But uh, I really enjoyed Perth also. That was a really fun city. Most Aussies never get to Perth. It's New so York. Far away. Yeah, it's a three yeah. hour flight. It takes, takes it takes it takes less time to get to New Zealand than it does to get to Perth from most Australian cities. So most 
most Australians go, well, why would I want to spend all that time to get to an Australian city when I can go to another country? Yeah, but it's so beautiful, person. Uh, it is. It's the largest boating per capita place in the world. Oh, wow. I believe that. The South African rock lobster, where you just rip the heads off of the bodies and throw them on the barbie. And it was the most fantastic meal. It was, it was just fabulous. And then I did a lot of hanging out. Uh, I became friendly with one of your footy guys. They were cousins. Um, what was his name? Bert Cousins, was that it? Played for Richmond. Oh, Ben Cousins. Ben Cousins, yeah. Yeah, he's he not doing a... too well at the moment. Um, yeah, I heard. Yeah. He was a wild boy, though. Yeah. And we yeah. hung out a while and uh, we went to some bunch of footy. He was sort of the prime of his career heading downhill, you know. He was really kind of out of control. But, uh, yeah, but I got into footy. My promoter uh, in, in Melbourne uh, was a big Bruce fan. And uh, so I got to meet a lot of the players and, you know, Really, in fact, we have we have a footy league here, Australia rules football in New York City. Oh wow! Called, really? Yeah, they call the Magpies. And, uh, oh, right. To the summer, yeah, it's, it's amazing. The sport hasn't really caught on in this country because it, it's such great athleticism, and these guys are just so fantastic. And, you know, they're, they're like normal sized guys. You know, six one, one hundred and seventy, eighty pounds, whereas like our you know football players here are like six eight and weigh like you know. 300 pounds, they're monsters. Mm. <laughs> but um, in, in Aussie rules football, the players are pretty normal-sized people. And yeah. uh, just a lot of fun. So anyway, if you could figure out a way to get me back there, I'm ready. Uh, we'll try we'll, something. Uh, we'll figure something out. We'll try something. We'll wait, we'll wait for the world to reopen, and then we'll, we'll try and figure yeah. out a plan, Kenny. Yeah. Um, now, if you don't mind, I'd really like to jump again back to Larry. When you were living with Larry, you said that he, you know, he took a lot of who you are to make Kramer uh, in the show. Where did the truth end and the fiction start? Like how, how much, when you watch Seinfeld now, how much of yourself do you see in Kramer? How much did Larry add on to make him more exaggerated? Well, you know, Larry knows me like a book. I mean, he really knows me. And then when he lived across the hall from me, he always got a kick out of me and my adventures, my entrepreneurism and my uh, my uh, dating situation. You know, he was kind of a little shy and I was kind of a madman. And uh, so a lot of the things that happened, like, but just to give an example, you know, the episode, the contest? Yes. Makes a bet who could go the longest without uh, treating their bodies as amusement parks. Yes. <laughs> That contest was real. That took place. <laughs> so you were out pretty quickly. Well, actually, I wasn't in it because I knew I'd never win it. But it was Larry and two of his friends, the Drake and uh, a guy named uh, Phil. Friend his name Phil. I can't think of his last name. But those three guys were in the contest. They call up in the morning. Are you still in? Are you in? And actually, I, I ran into Phil years later. And he told me something quite interesting. He said, you know, he lost the contest. Larry won the contest, the real contest. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so, so what happened was he was a, he was an actor, like working as an extra in film. And he met this beautiful girl on the set. And the, the last day of shooting, they made a date to get together the next day for a little afternoon delight. He was so excited about the prospect of having an afternoon delight with this young lady that he, he just couldn't control himself. Oh, <laughs> no. was out of the contest. <laughs> he was out. He was out. Oh. And he told me that, you know, when Larry, they used to call each other in the morning, you still in? You in? And Phil said, told me, he said, I said, Larry, I must confess, 
I am no longer the master of my domain. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. And that's why. That's why we have the uh, this, the very famous line from the show: "Master of your domain." I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. One thing I also wanted to know about Larry, you know, a lot of people know him from Seinfeld, but also from Curb Your Enthusiasm. And he's, you know, he's not the most well-adjusted human being. He, he, he seems to cause a lot of grief. Was he, was he like that in, in the 70s or was he a lot more relaxed and a lot more easygoing? Well, he was a lot more relaxed and easygoing after he made his like third or fourth million. Right. Starting out, you know, he was just a struggling comic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he was, but he always had the capacity of being able to step out of his body and look at himself as what a nut he is and how neurotic he is <laughs> and, and be able to write that into a character based on himself. Yeah. You know, he, he had that, you know, facility to be able to just really see himself and some of the crazy shit he did as, as normal and you know, make fun of it. Self-deprecation. He was wonderful at self-deprecation. And there's a lot of that, you know, but uh, a lot of it is just based on real Larry, you know. And Larry Strong he used to talk about uh, when he was a comedian and he thought maybe someday he'd be homeless. So as he walked around the city, he looked for like spots where a homeless person might make out, like there would be a great steam coming up. Oh, I have to make a note of that place, you know. <laughs> he should be homeless he had all these locations in Manhattan that he felt he could like, survive in but uh, he survived pretty well I gotta tell yes. you oh, there's gonna be an 11th season off Curb Your Enthusiasm yeah that's right working on writing it now and, uh, and the last did you see the last season? no not yet no not yet uh, not yet that's very very funny I did see I did see the clip where he wore the MAGA hat just to keep people away. Which is very, which <laughs> I thought that's good. a real Larry thing to do. To chill out the biker, right? Who's <laughs> ready to kick his ass. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's Larry. Those things he comes up with, they're just incredible. Like when he picks up the fat hooker to get in the HOV lane to get, <laughs> to get the game faster. That was hilarious. His stories are so unique. And the thing he developed, he's really the developer of it, uh, of creating shows where you have each character's like Jerry, Elaine, and uh, Kramer, and George, each have a storyline that runs simultaneous to, to the other three. And they come together when they meet at the restaurant or something. Three stories running concurrently that intersect at a point where they all seem to come together. That, that was his concept. He came up with that. In the third season of Seinfeld, he had already mastered that idea. And in fact, he calls his third season of Seinfeld, he calls out his White Album. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, after that, you know, like, you know, then Friends came on the scene. And Friends was the same, they did the same shit, but you know, they had one more friend in it. So, uh, but he really carved away for a new type of a television sitcom. Be able to have, tell four stories simultaneously and then have them intersect and uh, come together. Yeah, he did a lot as well, not just in that regard, but also Seinfeld really broke the barriers for sitcom tropes you know before Seinfeld it was very wholesome very family friendly and, yeah. and Seinfeld Seinfeld introduced the idea of people who are very very flawed people you know, that are so unlikable <laughs> yeah but the yeah. more unlikable they are the more that you like them and <laughs> and he changed the paradigm of television and you know that he changed it forever in so many ways so and the big one, yeah. too, was characters learning from their experiences each episode, whereas in Seinfeld, there was the no-hugging, no-learning policy. So, you know, everyone was the same uh, episode after episode. No one learned from any experiences. 
Right. And yeah, that was a big sign over his office. Any writer that came into picture, yeah, no hugging, no learning. No, learning. That's yeah. no little moral stories that, you know, just, just crazy human beings that are not that likable, you know. No. And Jason, of course, is so neurotic. And Kramer is, you know, a complete nut. It's just amazing how the world bought into these four people that you really want to be friends, wouldn't want to be friends with. No. And, and yet there they are, you know, and, and they're fun people, but despicable. Back when the pilot was uh, recorded, Kenny, when uh, Michael Richards was cast to play you, what did you think of him? Do you think he, uh, he did you justice? Well, you know, when, when Michael was cast to play Kramer, he knew it was based on Larry's friend Kenny. But he chose to do no research. He didn't want to meet me. He didn't want to know anything about me because he wanted to just create his own character. If I would have been cast to play Kramer, the show would have gone right down the toilet. I never would have thought to do physical comedy. You know, as a comedian, I talk, I'm funny. Mm. I say things, I tell funny stories. But I never thought to, like, you know, do those entrances through the door and all the physical comedy that he does. And that stuff doesn't just happen. He'll spend hours in front of a mirror, like, you know, developing like a some kind of tantrums or, you know, movements of that herky-jerky stuff. And he really works at it, you know. Because basically, you know, Jerry is Jerry, you know, very much in real life. And Julia, Elaine, is, is Julia, you know. She talks in the same cadence and she... Get out! You know, she's that's her. And uh, George, Jason, is the only one that did, you never could catch him acting. And he's so unlike George. I mean, you know, he's he's uh, confident, funny, self-sufficient. He's so un-George. And, and that's the beauty of Jason. He's uh, of the ball. He's the one that really you have to admire because you never could catch him acting, you know. He's just really into the character. And Jeff, on the other hand, you know, wasn't an actor. He was a stand-up. And his acting for the first several seasons wasn't really up to snuff. I mean, very five years to figure out how to say things without smirking. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can. You notice in those early seasons, he's, he seems a bit awkward and a bit, you know, out of place. But you do notice that he does get a lot better as the seasons go on. Oh, he oh does. yeah. But the, but the thing with Kramer, you know, when Kramer, they started, you know, when they, they shot the pilot and then they got, a, uh, they got an order to do four more shows. And uh, Michael started doing all of that, you know, physical comedy. And the audience would crack up and like Larry and Jerry went to Michael said, you got to tone it down, you got to tone it down. But he didn't. And he kept doing crazy shit. And it became the most popular thing on the show, that character. And, uh, you know, they started encouraging him, you know, to go crazy nuts. And uh, he really took it to new lengths. In fact, you know, by the third season of the show, they had a, they shot it in front of a live audience. And like the actors, when they come out, you know, in the scene, you know, in the opening scenes when a new actor appeared on stage, the audience would applaud. But when Michael would come out for the first time, the place would go crazy. Mm -hmm. And the audience had to be reprimanded ahead of the beginning of the shoot. Now, when Michael comes out, we don't want you going crazy and clapping your hands and stamping your feet. Just be very sedate about it, okay? Thank you. Because that was the response that he was getting. In fact, you know, NBC, the network, has a store, the NBC store. In the height of the Seinfeld craze, they had these big posters of all four characters. And the Kramer poster was outselling the other posters 15 to 1. Wow. Yeah. By wow. the popularity of the character. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's iconic. Um, I heard a story recently from can't even remember who it was. I think it was in an interview, and they said that they were in Jerusalem. Uh, sorry, in Israel in. Uh, 1994 or 1995 and they went to visit some family in some really remote village you know almost disconnected from the world no electricity no internet just really almost from another age and uh, they were going through the local market and you know they were telling they were selling spices and you know things that were typical of their culture and then there was one store that was just selling bootleg db uh you know vhs and just pirated stuff and they were selling Kramer you know the famous Kramer painting uh like posters so that the the cultural penetration of Kramer and Seinfeld was so much that even halfway through the series it reached into a remote village that was otherwise disconnected from the world in the middle of Israel well Michael told me that he was on safari yep and they were showing Seinfeld tapes oh wow (laughs) <laughs> the safari, amazing. In Tokyo, I saw Seinfeld in Japanese. Yeah. And, they, you know, it had, uh, it was in English, actually, but it had Japanese subtitles. And uh, I cracked up when you see Kramer come out and say, I'm out! But it's amazing how it caught on. I mean, it, in its height, it's, it's still pretty high up there. It's, it's seen in 90 countries. And in some countries, like in, in the States, we get it like four times a day. Yeah. We get two super cable channels, one local network channel, and another super cable channel. And it's like that all over the country. It's like it's usually on like the opposite the news for an hour at 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Wow. This thing could take off, but, you know, we learn from this one thing that funny is funny. You know, yeah. denying it and things that you would never think that these four unlikable characters could bring you such laughter and pleasure. Mm. And yet funny is funny. You can't deny it. And a lot of the situations that they get involved in are relatable, even in the modern day. It's stuff that we've yeah. all done. We've all experienced. Yeah. You know, how many times does somebody tell you? It's like a sign poster. Yes, many times. We've, we've got a section on our podcast every week after we intro the podcast. We do we uh, call it Seinfeldisms. And it's anything that's happened in our real life in the previous week before recording that we can relate to Seinfeld. And usually every week we've both got one or two. It could just be a boring everyday situation, but we can always relate it to Seinfeld. Right. You know, right. I think most of the fans do that when whenever something happens they'll go oh yeah that's just like in that episode where this happens to whoever oh yeah in conversations all the time people refer to seinfeld you know yeah me sitting on a plane and the couple next to you and the next seat is talking about you know it's just like that seinfeld time when Je- blah, 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 you know? yeah and so i be sitting and hear people talk about kramer <laughs> but uh yeah, it's just an amazing phenomenon. Yeah, for sure. Incredible. I mean, we're still, we're still, you know, we're to, we were born during, well, just before the, the height of it, 22 years after it went off the air, we're still doing a podcast and talking about you. So not many shows can have that sort of legacy. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the staying power that this thing has had is just amazing, you know, because every year there's a new generation of kids discovering the show. Yep. Yeah. And humor there is universal enough that it's, you know, adolescents understand it to, you know, eight year old children when Kramer says, I'm out. They don't know what it means, but they know it's funny. (laughs) When you were doing your bus tours, you you said that Michael Richards made Kramer a lot more of a physical comedian than you were as a person. When when you were doing your bus tours, did fans want you to reenact some of Kramer's more memorable physical comedy? And and if they did request that, did you indulge it or were you were you sort of a bit... No, you know, I, I, like I, I always explain that. Now, that's Michael. You know, that's not yeah. me. 
And then I would say, I have nothing to do with anything that Michael does except giddy up. Giddy up. up. And uh, it's just amazing, you know, how how long it's survived and how it doesn't look like it's slowing down any. Now, if you haven't curbed your enthusiasm, if, you know, there's 10 seasons and there's 100 shows already done and they're going to do another season. But it's amazing because Curb, Larry David, can do whatever the hell he wants to do. Yes. HBO says, Larry, whenever you're ready, just tell us when you know you want to air them. You know, he, and, and because it's cable television, there's no censorship. There's no problem with language or storylines or subject matter. You know, and, and so Larry can be as absolutely funny as he wants to be. And yeah. has been crazy sick things that he wants to have. And uh, I think I think Curb is far funnier because of the fact that there are no restraints. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but they're hilarious. Uh, those, those seasons. One season he was cast to, to be in uh, the Broadway show The Producers, and the whole season was about. Did you see those? Some of those? Uh, I can't remember. It's been no. a while since I've seen a lot of it. It's yeah. usually a arc of a story that runs through the whole season. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the season that uh, he was cast to play uh, Bialystok and the producers and all the things that it goes through and who he rehearses with and all the people tr- you know tried to work with him but couldn't. You know, all name named famous actors and stuff. It, it got to a point where you know, all these famous people were calling Larry up, hey, you got a spot for me in one of your shows? But <laughs> he wanted to be in Seinfeld. Yeah. Cameo in Seinfeld, incidentally. In an episode called The Face Painter, when yep. Julius is painting uh, Putty, he paints his face to support the New Jersey Devils hockey team. Yeah. There's this close-up of me and Michael jumping up and down because the Rangers just scored, jumping mm-hmm. up and hugging. And I'm short-haired, clean-shaven, wearing a big Rangers shirt. If you set your recorders, go frame by frame, you can't miss me. Oh, that's you. Wow. Okay. I'll have to go yeah. back and watch that. Here I am. Wow. When uh, Seinfeld was being filmed, were you, did you become friends with, uh, you know, Julia, uh, Jason, Michael, and Jerry? Yeah, Julia and I were friendly, and Jason was very friendly. Michael and I became much closer, like, because it's interesting. We, we have a lot in common, you know. We were both single parents raising a daughter at mm-hmm. this age, and, uh, you know, and we, we used to hang out. And we, it's a big kick for him to hang out with the real Kramer and for me to hang out with Michael. And yep. so I go out there quite a bit, take advantage of the craft services cart, which was always <laughs> great food. And uh, I'd stay at Larry's house. And uh, I went out there for about maybe five or six shows and uh, always had a blast. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I'm watching the Yankee game out of the corner of my eye. Oh, oh, that's what's how are they, how they doing? Uh, I think they're going to lose to the Mets. Uh, this game. Are you a Yankees or a Mets man? Yankees. Yankees. Okay. Larry is a diehard Yankees fan, and Jerry's a diehard Mets fan. They had partnership desks, you know, that face each other. And on Larry's wall behind his desk was all Yankee memorabilia, and behind Jerry's desk is all Mets memorabilia. But uh, you know, Keith Hernandez, several Mets appeared on Seinfeld, as did several Yankee players appeared yep. in Captain Seinfeld. Yeah, lots did, yeah. Especially Keith Hernandez, the most famous one. Yes. <laughs> the whole, so funny that Larry was able to spoof, you know, John F. Kennedy being murdered to the Seinfeld. Ah, uh, the speeding was, incident, yes. Yes. That was really brilliant, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was very well yeah. done. And very, very uh, good performance by Jerry in that scene too, especially in the <laughs> earlier years. Very, very good moment from him. 
Right, the way he explains. Now, let me see. You say the loogie came down and hit here and then went across your body and came out this way here and hit the governor there. I was one active loogie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Kenny, I'm curious to know when um, it's well known and you've made a few points about it as well that a lot of the Seinfeld storylines, not just Kramer, but you know, any, a lot of characters, their storylines are based on real life situations that happened in um, you know, either the writer's or Larry or Jerry's life. And obviously a lot of Kramer storylines were based on what's happened in your life. When they were writing each season and they were coming up with ideas, did they consult you? The one that comes to mind is um, when Kramer runs the Jay Peterman reality tour, which is obviously a parody of your bus tour, I believe. Did they yep. did they forewarn you ahead of time to say, this is what we're writing into this season, is that okay? And did they uh, ask you to contribute information just so that they got it right? And they didn't ask permission or anything, but Larry mentioned to me that we're doing a spoof of your tour. Okay. I think, you know, but uh, I didn't realize how much they were really spoofing it. I mean, you know, three hours long, 3750, you know, uh, mm-hmm. all, all, had, had all the ingredients. Uh, includes uh, includes uh, Junior Mint Candies and Stop at the Soup Nazi and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, they did that. But, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff happened. That, you know, writers write about what they know about. So, like, a lot of the stories that came from different writers on the show were things yep. that actually happened to them. For instance, uh, since you had the episode where uh, the contest, as I explained, he was a real contest. But when I was out there one time, you know the episode where George has a fight with the bubble boy? Yes. Yep. Okay. All right. So, because of the, the whole dispute was that it was about the war, or the English war, and the answer was the Moors. On, a, on the uh, Trivial Pursuit card, it said the Moops, M-O-O-P-S. But yep. when I was there, I met the writer who wrote that episode, and he showed me the actual Trivial Pursuit card with the typo in it, Moops, M-O-O-P-S. Yes, a real typo, yeah. That's right, yeah. nice. But, you know, so, and you know, as I say, writers write things that, that like Fred Stoller wrote the episode about uh, where, uh, what's his name, that comic was gives, gives Jerry an Armani suit. And says, "Well, you'll just buy me lunch, okay?" Oh, the soup, okay. the soup. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's that right. happened. Pretty who uh, wrote that episode. That was wow. just about uh, Jerry gave him a suit, wanted to buy him lunch. He said, "I'll just have soup. We'll have lunch another time." Jerry says, "No, no, soup is a meal." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, so many stories. There's a really good book called Seinfeldia that came out about a year ago, and Jennifer Armstrong wrote it. We get a copy of it. It's, she interviewed like hundreds of people. She's a real ju- great journalist. And uh, the kind of stuff that you guys seem to be into, this is the most trivia that you'll ever find in one place. All the minutiae and, and stories and stories of things that writers told her about things that happened that ended up on the show. So it's called Seinfeldia mm-hmm. by Jennifer Armstrong. I'll check yeah, that out. I do remember when that came out. I remember reading about it, but we haven't read it yet. We'll have to. We'll have to do so. Yeah, it was a huge Christmas seller about three years ago. Okay. And you consider Seinfeld was was off the air already at uh, about ten, twelve years at that point. Again, it was like the biggest selling book on Christmas. Like twelve years later, after the show went off the air, it was amazing how my tour was sold out. You know, I'm I'm in my twentieth year, and the show was only nine years old. It only played nine seasons. Yeah, yeah. The tour went for twenty four. Wow, twenty four years. Yeah. Wow. While you were doing your tour, and um, you know, I guess being known for being the real life inspiration of Kenny, 
Were you active in your stand-up career or did you put that on pause? Did you maintain that as well? Yeah, I I have a show called Kramer and Seinfeld, which is a stand-up show with video clips. I used to do at colleges, theaters, corporate events, things like that. And uh, the format of the bus tour was I would do do about 45 minutes of stand-up telling some of these stories and what happened in real life, how they ended up on the show. And then I put everybody in a bus and take them to soup and... Mm -hmm drive past that famous restaurant and tell some funny stories. And so for my stage show, I just took that stand-up part, which was about 40 minutes on the theater, and I made it into like 90 minutes. So mm-hmm. it's like a show. I have great video clips, Larry talking about me, and uh, just, it's a really good show. And uh, that's what I brought to Australia and did my show with, with that. And uh, but as I say, if this ever comes back, that theaters will open and... Um, tourism will once again happen i think i'm just going to concentrate if i choose to uh, concentrate on that stand-up show yeah it has all the elements that the tour had but it's uh it's much easier for me to do yeah you just like you said you just turn up talk for an hour and then go back to your hotel and you you're good that's it but i'm good Real talking to you guys. If any of your listeners, when, when Australia opens back up, if you'd like to see my show come back to Australia, we had an incredibly successful run. I sold out the Adelaide Fringe for like eight nights, 900 seats a night. It was great. We sold out the Athenaeum for four shows. We sold out Regency in Perth. We sold, it was very successful. So to any promoters out there listening that want to uh, make an investment, in, uh, it's definitely going to be profitable. And I would just love to get back to Australia without having to buy a ticket. So. <laughs> I'm sure they'll ship you out here. Okay. So anyway, you guys keep up the good work and uh, yep. send me the link when this thing appears. So. Absolutely. We will. Yeah, we will. Sure. Well, Kenny, thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, guys. So have a great Bye, summer. Kenny. Lucky dogs. <laughs> we will. Take care of right. yourself. Yes, yeah, yeah. Bye. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye. Okay, take care.